May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So today we are celebrating one of the principal feast days of the church. But if we took a survey, I doubt that many people have even heard of it. The full name is the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord Jesus Christ in the Temple. And it always falls on February 2nd. We've moved it, obviously. The Feast of the Presentation is also known as Candle Mass, which we celebrated last night. So it's very confusing this morning, but stay with me. It's a service where the candles are traditionally blessed for the coming year. And Candle Mass happens to be halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. And so Candle Mass became linked to weather predictions about the end of winter and probably inspired the other February 2nd event, Groundhog Day, which in turn inspired one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, if you haven't seen it, go out immediately after and watch it. It's a story of a cursed man finding redemption, and it is a sermon in and of itself. So, by the way, in case you didn't know, apparently Puxatani Phil did predict six more weeks of winter, which is really not hugely problematic for us here living in Phoenix, but we can sympathize with our friends back east and with the folks in Texas who every time the temperature drops below 50, they lose all their power. So, so the feast of the presentation is exactly 40 days after Christmas. It's the absolute final observation of the Christmas season. Even though for the most part, our lives have moved on and no one's really paying attention anymore. Christmas is absolutely over. And as Howard Thurman would remind us that the hard work now begins. And so I'll admit, I have struggled with this Feast of the Presentation. It's a lovely vignette in the life of Jesus. And it's, it's probably an appropriate end to the birth stories. Mary and Joseph come to the temple. Luke making it clear that Mary and Joseph are, they're a devout family and they're going to raise their children, their child according to the faith. But what does it have to do with us today? That was where I was struggling. And what occurred to me, I seem to have movies on the brain today, was Fiddler on the Roof. There's a scene in that movie where the Cossacks are driving the Jews from their home in Anatevka. And the young man asked the old rabbi, Rabbi, we have been waiting for the Messiah all our lives. Wouldn't now be a good time for him? And the rabbi replied, we'll just have to wait for him someplace else. Simeon and Anna, waiting their entire lives, 
waiting for this moment. And maybe they had begun to grow weary of waiting, waiting for the Roman occupation to end, weary of failed policies and programs, weary of the failures of religious leaders and political leaders, and weary of the poverty and the misery that poverty brings. And I find that I can relate to that. And maybe it's because like Simeon and Anna, I'm verging on being elderly. I've become weary with waiting for things to get better, weary for our politicians to do what is right for our cities and in our country, weary of the ugliness of our politics, weary of policies that don't actually help people, and just weary of being weary. And I find that I'm beginning to retreat from the fray of public life no longer reading the newspaper on a daily basis or watching the news, because it's easier that way, isn't it? It's not my problem. I can't fix it. And yet, and yet, here we have Simeon and Anna waiting, waiting in expectation and hope. They stayed faithful to God and faith in God. And it's never easy to wait for something important. Waiting for a loved one to come home. Waiting for a child to be born. Waiting in hospital corridors for news, any news. Waiting for God to show up in our lives and in our world to put things right, to make everything better. But here's the thing. Waiting for God is not a passive thing. In the early 60s, at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, a group of white clergy urged Dr. Martin Luther King to be more patient, to wait. And his response, was in the letter from the Birmingham jail. And in the letter, he indicated that he had received other requests to delay, to be patient, to wait, to give everyone some little more time. But King argued that time could be used for good or for evil, and that human progress is it's not inevitable but rather comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally for the forces of stagnation. King goes on to say that we must use this time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. The time is always ripe to do what is ripe, right. Simeon and Anna were waiting for God to come, but they weren't idle. 
Simeon was righteous and full of devotion, and Anna, Anna was a prophet. Both of them were steeped in prayer and worship, doing what was right, what they could, when they could. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to keep waiting. We sing, come thou long expected Jesus. And we look and we, we see nothing and we turn away. The Jesuit priest William F. Lynch observed that there, there are two kinds of waiting. One kind waits because there's, there's nothing else to do. And the other is it's born out of hope. A decision to engage in a hopeful kind of waiting. Simeon and Anna, they didn't wait because there was nothing else to do. They waited because they had hope. They performed acts of justice and they prayed and they worked. They defied the darkness of their world by serving, serving God, waiting, waiting for the light of God. They did what they could and they waited. And as Luke tells us, God did come to them. Who knows what they were expecting? Were they expecting a warrior or a soldier or a king with horses and knights following on behind? Or were they surprised when the Messiah came as a helpless, vulnerable baby brought to the temple by two young parents, too poor to afford a decent sacrifice, and they brought two pigeons, two young parents, two birds, and a baby. Can this be the long-expected Messiah? The coming of God? It's hard. It's hard to wait for God. And some wait passively, some refuse to wait. But really, if you think about it, the waiting is the easy part. It's recognizing God when he shows up that's so very hard. Because he never shows up quite the way we expect or we even ask for. Are we paying attention? Anna looked and somehow she knew that she had seen the fulfillment of her hope. Simeon looked and he knew too. He knew that God had come and Simeon held that baby and he became a poet for the ages when he says that now he can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all peoples, a light for revelation to all the world. Can you see it? Do you see the light coming into the world? The light of revelation shining a spotlight on the ugliness of injustice wherever we find it? drawing our attention to the cruelty of poverty and hardships that destroy lives, calling us to remember that the time is always, it's always ripe to do what is right, 
maybe what we need are more Anna and Simeons in the world to keep the faith, to keep waiting, to keep doing what is right, even when everything seems so very wrong. And maybe, just maybe, we are not just being asked to wait for God. Maybe God is waiting for us.